Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Is there something you guys are trying to tell me here? Thank you. Thank you, you three, for sitting in the front row and trusting me. I'm not going to do like a crowd jump or something. Well, I might, but... Hey, Southside Church Online and Southside Church On Person, sincerely glad to be with you here today. If you're watching tomorrow, I'm sincerely glad to be with you tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day. You get the point. We've turned our attention to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, which is actually the last letter ever written by the Apostle Paul. So he was inspired by God to write this letter to his best buddy, Timothy. Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. It's interesting, too, because we have every reason to believe that Paul knew as he sat down to write that letter that it would be the last letter that he ever wrote. So he's sitting down and he's thinking, man, what's important? Like, what matters? What do I really want to stress? What could inspire in this letter? And he sits down and he writes it. And now it's in our Bible. So it makes me think to myself, you know, it wasn't just useful information for 67 AD. It's useful information for 2022. Like last week, we talked about the fact that God didn't give you a spirit of fear. That's a big deal. That God didn't give me a spirit of fear. But instead, he gave us power, love, and a sound mind. I mean, I really think throughout this series, as we lean into 2 Timothy, I think God wants you to know that. Like, God's plan for you is that you would live a powerful life. The power to change, the power to grow, the power to learn, the power to overcome obstacles, the power to create, the power to have ingenuity. It's incredible, the plans that God has for you. And God wants to have you live a life of love. First of all, to experience the fact that the God of the universe, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords loves you fully and completely and unconditionally and allow that to unlock in you capacity to love others well. And finally, God wants you to live a life of a sound mind. A sound mind. He wants you to live a life of wisdom, you know? That you would make decisions and do things and say things today that would help you build something beautiful tomorrow and into the future. So that's what we're leaning into today as we look at the last letter ever written by the Apostle Paul. We're going to tackle the rest of chapter 1 of this book, starting at verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, Timothy, join with me, won't you, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. What an invitation. Join me. Join me as we ring in the new year. Join me as we celebrate Dave's 43rd birthday. Join me as we witness the marriage of Leah and Henry. Join me, won't you? Join me as we suffer for the gospel. Huh. It's a pretty weird invitation. There's a lot of times that people will link this verse in 2 Timothy to some of the words of Jesus found in the Gospel of John chapter 15 when John says, or Jesus says, hey, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. If the world hates you, remember the world hated me first. And so what some people do then is they set a a goal and their goal becomes, I'm going to be hated and I'm going to suffer. That's my goal. And of course, if your goal is to be hated, that's really easy to do. As a follower of Jesus, if your goal is to be hated, that's really easy to do. Just be someone who seeks first to be understood, but never tries to understand others. 
Seek first to be known, but never make any effort to know others. Seek first to be listened to, but never listen to others. Be all about finger pointing. Be all about judgment. Be all about condemnation. Be all about accusation. In short, if you want to be hated, if you want to suffer, here's how you would do it. I'm just trying to think, oh, I know, make your entire life, your entire message, your entire reputation, make it all about what you are against and never what you are for. Or more precisely, maybe, make it all about who you are against and never who you are for. And then at the end of it, you know what? Voila! You, my friend, will be hated. And then the temptation is to look and go, see, I did it. Just like Jesus said I would do it. As the world hated him, the world hates me. No, the world hates you because you're a mean jerk. That's why the world hates you. Paul says, join me in suffering for the gospel. So we really need to lean into that. We really need to ask ourselves, why was Jesus hated and why did Jesus suffer? Two reasons why Jesus was hated. Number one, because how he loves, and number two, because who he is, how he loves. There's a vulnerability that comes with Love, but love anyway. There's a vulnerability that comes with love, but love anyway. When I was a younger guy, before I met Jesus, I was someone that you would not have wanted to get into a conflict with. Okay, because for me, life was like a game of chicken. And when you play a game of chicken, the person who wins a game of chicken is always the person with the least to lose, or at least the person who perceives themselves to have the least to lose. So I walked around in my life literally and figuratively like this. I dare you not to get out of my way. And almost everybody did. And I thought to myself, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. You better get out of my way. Now, looking back now, this is what I realized. People were looking at me going, that dude's crazy. Like, I don't want anything to do with that guy. I don't have time for a fight with Mike Manis today, you know? Or how about this? I don't want to hurt my fist on Mike Manis' face today. I don't want to get his blood on my shirt. But I walked around going, this is great. Life is a game of chicken, and I have nothing to lose. But then Jesus saved me. But then Jesus saved me. And what I realized in the moment that Jesus saved me is this. I am fully, completely, and totally unconditionally loved by the God of the universe. I am full... I know, amen, that's exactly what I said. I said, that's good, that's good, that's baby for Mike, you're on fire again. I know, I know, I thank you. But in that moment when you realize that you are fully and completely, totally loved by the God of the universe, something changes inside of you. It unlocks an ability not only to experience his love, but to love others. And there's a vulnerability that comes with love. See, not long after... Jesus saved me, I met this girl named Corinne, and I fell in love with her. And there's a vulnerability that comes with that, because not only did I look at her and go, man, she's pretty. No, I cared about her. I wanted to know her. I wanted to understand her. I wanted to listen to her. In fact, here's the thing. It wasn't long before I couldn't imagine my future without her. You see the vulnerability? I began to plan my future that I was going to be with her. But she could have looked at me and said, yeah, here's the weird thing. My future doesn't involve you. There's a vulnerability that comes with love. But if you would have said to me at that time or to this day, was it worth it? I would say, oh, yeah. 
there's a vulnerability that comes with love, but how about this? Love anyway. And then Corinne and I got married, and about a year and a half after we got married, we had our oldest child, Tori. And Tori's right there, and she loves when I tell this story. Okay, so she's excited about this. Uh, but I was worried before Tori was born, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to love her. Because here's the thing. I had seen a lot of people around newborn babies, and, and they kept on saying this. They would see a newborn baby, and they would say, look at that newborn baby. It's so beautiful. And I would think to myself, that baby's not beautiful at all. That's the weirdest looking thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you know, and I, I was wondering to myself, like, is everybody just pretending? Is this like this kind of this conspiracy of the world that we look at this ugly little creature and go, oh my goodness, he's so beautiful. And so I was really nervous that when Tori was born, I was going to be there in the delivery room and they were going to go, look, you're a dad. And I was going to say, Wow. Wow, she's so beautiful, and I love her, you know? And then she was born, and she was beautiful. Most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I mean, I almost fainted. My, knee, my knees got weak. I, I thought to myself immediately, man, I, I want to protect that kid. I want to provide for her. I want to cheer her on. I want to I change. I changed the way I drove, you know? Before Tori was born, I drove fast, fast, and careless. And all of a sudden now, I'm driving slow and, and really, really careful. Changed the way I looked at finances. Changed the way that I dreamed of the future. But there's a suffering that comes with love. There's a suffering that comes with love. Because as that little wingnut grew up, when she would get hurt, it would hurt me worse than if it would have happened to me myself. There's a suffering that comes with love. But if you had asked me, if you asked me to this day, is it worth it? <laughs> yeah. It's worth it. Do you get what I'm saying? Paul's leaning in and going, no, no, join me. Join me. Join me in suffering for the gospel. See, it, it, it was love that convinced Jesus to become vulnerable. Jesus left his throne in heaven and stepped into human history. He became vulnerable came as a baby in a manger in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem. He grew up. He became vulnerable. Why? Because he loves you. And he knew that he had to come where you are to bring you where he is. Jesus came fully God but also fully man. He could be mocked and he was mocked. He could be spit on and he was spit on. He could be opposed and he was opposed. He could be beat up and he was. He became vulnerable. Why, love? And if you asked Jesus, was it worth it? He'd say, was it worth it? Yeah. And it was love that convinced Jesus to suffer. That Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross where he suffered and died. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says it this way, that Jesus Christ who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Do you get it? That Jesus went to the cross so that we could give him all our wrong and he could put our wrong to death and we could take instead all his right. We were saved. Salvation, forgiveness, eternal life in that moment. If you asked Jesus, was the suffering worth it? He'd say, yeah. Hebrews 12 says this. 
says that Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame for the joy set before him. You know what the joy set before him is? You. You. If you ask Jesus, was the vulnerability worth it? Was the suffering worth it? He would look at you and say, yes, 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 you are worth it. That's why Paul leans in. That's why Paul says, no, 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 you don't want to miss this. Join me, join me, join me in suffering for the gospel. See, Paul suffered for the gospel. Paul walked around, he kept telling people about Jesus. He kept preaching, he kept planting churches. And people, the, the, the powers that be came up to Paul and said, Paul, shut your gaping pie hole. Stop it. Stop preaching. Stop planting churches. Stop telling people about Jesus. But he would not stop. And he suffered. He was opposed. He was shouted down. He was beaten up. He was arrested. And Paul suffered for the gospel. He became vulnerable. He, in 67 AD, he's writing this letter to Timothy. It's his last letter. Why? Because he's going to die for it. And if you ask Paul, hey, Paul, come on, man. Was the suffering worth it? Was the vulnerability worth it? He would say this, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 join me. You don't want to miss this. Join me. Join me in suffering for the gospel. So if you're going to be hated, if I'm going to be hated, if we're going to be hated, if we're going to suffer, can we please make sure that we are hated if we are hated, that we suffer? Why? Because we love so radically. The first reason why Jesus was hated and why Jesus suffered was because of how he loves. And the second reason is who he is. Who he is. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the thing. Like The gospel is a bad news, good news message, isn't it? The gospel starts with bad news and it ends with good news. The gospel says this. Here's the bad news. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. That's bad news. Let me put it a different way. You're not well-behaved enough to save yourself. You're not powerful enough to save yourself. You're not perfect enough to save yourself. That is the bad news. But then, here's the good news. Jesus can, and Jesus is, and Jesus will save you. That's the gospel. You say, well, who in the world would ever hate that message. Who in the world would ever hate you for preaching that? Who in the world would ever make you suffer for preaching that? Oh, that's easy. There's three kinds of people that hate the gospel. There's three kinds of people that hate the message of the gospel. Number one, religious people hate it. Religious people hate it. They hate it because they look at you and they go, what? I am well-behaved enough to save myself, and how dare you suggest otherwise? Arrogant people hate it. Arrogant people hate it. Hate it. They go, what? Well, I'm powerful enough to save myself, and how dare you suggest otherwise? And self-righteous people hate it. Self-righteous people look at you if you preach the gospel, and they go, what? I'm perfect enough to save myself. Thank you very much. How dare you suggest otherwise? And yet Jesus preached. Jesus preached to the religious He preached to the arrogant. He even preached to the self-righteous because he knew, he knew, he knew that there were others in the crowd that needed to hear it. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Jesus said, I came for the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the broken, and the bruised, the helpless, and the hopeless, and the humble. 
So Jesus kept preaching. And here's what I want to suggest to you. There's a risk in preaching the gospel. There's a risk in preaching the gospel. Preach it anyway. Preach it anyway. Every once in a while, if you tell somebody about Jesus, they're going to hate you because they're going to be religious or arrogant or self-righteous. Preach it anyway. It's funny too, by the way, because every once in a while you'll come across somebody and you'll think that you got them pegged. You'll look at someone and you'll say, oh, that's a religious person, so they're not going to want to hear it. That's funny because maybe you look at me right now, whether you're online or in person, you say, well, Mike's a pastor and he's standing on a stage right now, so he must be religious. I believe I'm the least religious person in this room. If there's one person in here right now who is convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that their own behavior cannot save them, it would be me. So be careful before you decide who doesn't want to hear what you have to share. Or you might look at somebody who's really successful and you go, oh, I know for sure that person is really, really arrogant. It's funny because I know so many successful people and one thing that almost all of them have in common is this, they're humble. They're humble. Or you might look at somebody who is really, really well-behaved and think to yourself, man, I guarantee you that person is self-righteous. But it's weird because a lot of the people that you might look at and say, man, that person is so well-behaved, it's not really rocket science. They just wake up every morning and say to themselves, I'm just going to try to be kind. That's it. And say so there's a vulnerability that comes with love, but love anyway, and there's a risk when you preach the gospel, but I would suggest this to you, preach anyway. Tell people about Jesus anyway. But there's weird, there's this resistance inside of you. There's this resistance inside of me too. Man, I can talk about anything. You want to know what my favorite flavor of Blizzard is? I got too many to even tell you. I got, I, I, but I could extrapolate for about an hour and a half on all my favorite flavors of Blizzard. You want to talk about my favorite hockey player? I, yes, you do. Okay, well, I would be happy to tell you all about my favorite hockey player. In fact, Taylor, I could do one better. I could actually show you a video, okay? You want to see a video? Okay, okay, I'll show a video. I happen to have one ready to go. Let's show the video. down by a goal again, and then the captain goes to work. That's not a statement. That's a millennium type of goal. I mean, come 
Come on! It's a video game! Not about 25 more minutes, but they cut it. The tech guys cut it. What was my point again? No, here's the point. We'll talk about all sorts of things, but there's a spiritual battle going on, you know? And there's just a resistance. Just as I would say to you, there's a vulnerability that comes with love, but love anyways, I would say this, there's a risk that comes with preaching the gospel or telling people about Jesus, but tell them anyways. Now, by the way, I want to be really clear. I, I, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you stand on a, on a street corner with a sign. I personally don't think that is super effective, so I would not do that. I am not suggesting either that you hand out tracts. I don't think that's effective either. Here's what I think you do, though. I think you seek first to understand and then to be understood. I think you seek first to know others and then to be known. I think you listen. I think you hear what they're saying. And then at some point after you've listened, after you've sought to understand them, invite them. Invite them to hear your story about how Jesus has changed your life. Invite them to church. They'll love me. I just know it. But it's important, right? Because there's nothing like the message of Jesus. Paul says this in verse 9. Jesus has saved us and called us to a holy life. Holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When Jesus stepped into human history, it's as if he stood up and said, and now, and now for something completely different. I want you to understand that. Philosophically, when Jesus stepped into human history, he said, and now for something completely different. I think we often take this for granted. So you know what the way of the world is? You know the way that makes sense to you? Honestly, the way that makes sense to me, it's called karma. Karma makes sense. Karma says your performance comes first and then the prize. Does that make sense? Performance first, then prize. If you perform well, you get a prize. If you do good things, you get good things. That's karma. Karma makes sense. Jesus stepped into human history and he unveiled, unleashed a revolutionary way of thinking. He said, now for something completely different, it's called grace. Grace takes karma and stands it on its head. Karma says, first performance, then prize. Grace says, listen to this, listen, this is crazy. Grace says, first the prize, then performance. First the prize, then performance. Do you understand what that means? That means that no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, this morning, last night, this weekend, no matter what, Jesus loves you right now. How much? So much so that he died for you and rose again for you. You don't achieve salvation, you receive it. The prize comes first, salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, it's yours. And then, and then, and then comes performance. Wait, what? Yeah, this is really important. Who? this is important. This hit me hard over the last two days. First comes the prize, unconditional love, salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. Boom, no strings. And then what? Performance. 
I don't know if you've ever heard this. You need to hear this. Our young men and our young women need to hear this. Our older men and our older women need to hear this. Listen to me. I said earlier, there's a problem with church over the last hundred years in our culture. Church has been about this. I want to be all about what I'm against and not what I'm for. Do you get what I'm saying? And if you live that way, you receive the prize. The prize is salvation. The prize is forgiveness. The prize is eternal life. And now what's my goal? I don't want to do anything wrong. Huh? What's your highest aspiration in life? Not to smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. That's it. That's my goal. That's my dream. That's, I just kind of want that to define me, you know? You think I'm kidding. This is church. This is what too many of your young men and your young women have been learning in church. That the highest goal, the highest aspiration of your life is to not do wrong stuff. It's a nightmare. It makes a mockery of grace. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to tell you again. When Jesus saved me, I experienced, for the first time in my life, unconditional love. The, the God of the universe, the King of all kings, the Lord of all, all lords, loved me fully and completely, exactly the way I was. Do you get it? And in that moment, it unlocked in me a capacity to love just a little bit like him. You understand what I'm saying, right? That somewhere along the line, the world needs you not to just do wrong, not, not do, not wrong, not just to not do bad stuff. The world needs you to be you, unlocked, unleashed you. That if you could love just a little bit like him, then you could create just a little bit like him. That you could encourage just a little bit like him. You could have ingenuity just a little bit like him. You could, you could lead just a little bit like him. You could succeed just a little bit like him. You could change the world just a little bit like him. And yet I feel so often, we tell our young men and our young women, we tell them, no, 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 here's the thing. Don't do wrong stuff. That's a mockery of grace. It's a mockery of grace. It's horrible. Grace says, the prize is yours. Take it, enjoy it, and now be unlocked. Live. Because what this world needs more than anything else from you, they need you to be you, unlocked you, unleashed you. I think Brianna already talked about during announcements, but I'll, I'll remind you again that at 1230 today, we're going to be back in here. And uh, we used to call this little class thing we do, 101, but I changed the name of it, and I changed it to more. And I want you to be here if you can. If you're new or newish to Southside, week one, week two, you have to be here. You're required. <laughs> what are you going to do if I don't come? You want to give me a chicken? Okay, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You're not required, but you should come. And if you've been here for 40 years, you should come. I, I want to start unpacking this concept that, that, that God has actually unlocked us, us and unleashed us to be way, way, way more than if we had never 
collided with this concept called grace. That we're unlocked and unleashed to be way more than we ever could have been. And this world needs us to be. And I really want to unpack that. So at 12.30 today, more. More than we're living. More than we're bringing right now. We're going to talk about that. There's tables outside. You can sign up. You can text the keyword more to 604-670-3040. There's childcare. There's food for your kids and food for you. Now we'll pause and we'll watch another Connor McDavid video. No, we will not. You will sign up right now or I will not continue. Just kidding. Okay. But grace is revolutionary. Can we please never take that for granted? Paul continues. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because, because, because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Reminds me of this old hymn. It goes like this. It says, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeem me for his own. I don't know what of good or ill may be reserved for me, of weary ways or golden days before his face I see. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I keep thinking about that line, weary ways or golden days. Weary ways or golden days. Highs and lows. Highs and lows. So many over the last two and a half years, right? Highs and lows. Golden days. Weary ways. And here's the crazy thing. God is with you. And you know what? I think when we're having the, the golden days, when we're up on the mountaintop, it's pretty easy to know that God is with me. But it's important to know that it's not only when you feel his presence that he's with you. He's with you in the valley. You say, well, Mike, here's the thing. I did something really, really bad last night. He's with you. He was with you when you did that bad thing, and he loves you fully and completely and unconditionally anyways. You understand that? Golden days and weary ways, highs and lows. Come to this conclusion in March of 2022. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world. So much that I don't know, so much that you don't know. But you know what I do know? I know Jesus. I know he loves you. I know his grace. I know his forgiveness. I know he's for you. I know that when he died and when he rose again, his victory has shaped your eternity. There's so much about our world right now. There's so much about your life right now that is so completely uncertain. But you know what's certain? He is. He is. In the highs and in the lows. He's good. He's good, and you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him with even the uncertain. You can trust your certain Savior with the uncertainty of your life. You can trust him with your wayward child. You can trust him with your marriage. You can trust him with the health thing that's been bugging you. 
You can trust him with your friends. You can trust him with your finances. You can trust him with your business. You can trust him. In an uncertain world, he is a certain savior. In the highs and in the lows. Paul finishes. He says, I'm sure you know by now that everyone in the province of Asia deserted me. Even P and H. But God bless Anesiphorus and his family. Many's the time I've been refreshed in that house. And he wasn't embarrassed a bit that I was in jail. The first thing he did when he got to Rome was look me up. May God on the last day treat him as well as he treated me. And then there was all the help you provided in Ephesus, but you know that better than I do, Timothy. See, here's the thing about love. Love makes you vulnerable, and Paul was vulnerable, and Paul got hurt. And when you're hurt, people can hurt you even more. There's this old poem that Mother Teresa placed on one of the walls of one of her orphanages, and it came to mind. Let me read it to you. It says this, People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spent years building, someone could destroy overnight, build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway. Love will make you vulnerable. Love anyway. Love will make you suffer. Love anyway. See, because if you don't, if you allow, if you allow the, the, the P and H's of the world to keep you from love, and you're going to miss Anesiphorus. You wouldn't want to miss Anesiphorus, would you? Can you believe this guy? He goes into Rome, and, and he goes to all the jails looking for Paul. This is Rome, <laughs> like Rome under the control of Nero. And Nesiphorus walks up, hey, have you seen this guy? Kind of balding, short, bow-legged, got a monobrow, won't stop talking about Jesus. Have you seen him? No. Onto the, that was risky, but yet he went from jail to jail to jail to jail until he found Paul. And Paul says, I'll tell you what, that Nesiphorus, I'll tell you something about him. Man, I'm hope, he, I'm hope he's rewarded like he rewarded me when he showed up in my prison cell to say hi. It got me thinking about that old phrase, you know what, be kind, be kind, be kind, be kind, because everyone you know is fighting a great battle. Be kind. And what I really wanted to do is I wanted to kind of end this sermon by telling you a time that, you know, I was kind to somebody, and it deeply impacted their life. But what I realized is as I began planning is I don't really know what deeply impacted anybody's life but I know what deeply impacted mine, so I'm gonna tell you a quick story about how a little act of kindness made a difference for me. So March of 2020, you remember March of 2020? Does anybody remember March of 2020? I think we all remember March of 2020. It was kind of weird, wasn't it? And life changed. Life changed for you and life changed for me. 
Like all of a sudden, instead of preaching to groups of people, I was preaching to cameras in empty rooms. And things got real challenging because we started to ask ourselves, man, like how do we as a church continue to bring hope and, and help to, to, to our world even in this time? There's something kind of unique about me. Maybe it's not. Maybe you can relate a little bit. I'm introverted. And so for me, when stress hits, what I do is I withdraw. I withdraw and I just get by myself and I work. It drives my friends crazy, by the way. It's not like an arrogant, I'm going to fix this. It's like, autom- like an automatic default setting. When, when stress or hardship or difficulty arise, I just go away by myself and I, and, I, and I work at it. And so I remember March, April, May, June of 2020, at some point they said, hey, you got to work from home. Everyone's got to work from home. And so that meant for me, I would drive every day to the hangar. And the, the hangar, before we had this beautiful facility, we had this place called the hangar, which is where all our offices were. And so I would go to the hangar all by myself. I would walk around, no one else was there, talk to myself, sing a little bit, terrible singing, you know. And, uh, and it, it, was, it, it was a hard time. And sometimes I would get there like before the sun came up in the morning, and I would go home after the sun went down at night. And, and the, the office that I had at the hangar, well, it was like a storage container. There's no windows. It's like, like this little bunker. And they tell me later that that's probably not good for you to just sit in a little bunker and, uh, with, with no windows for long periods of time. But that's what I did. The, some of the staff called it Osama bin Laden's lair. That's what they called it. Not exactly sure what they were saying about me now that I actually say that out loud. Okay, and then guess what happens? Okay, so this is what happens. I'm all like, I'm all like doing my own thing. I'm withdrawing to, to Osama, to the bunker, okay? And I'm just working and working and working. And somewhere along, along the line, guess what happens? Well, I get real lonely. <laughs> well, I wonder why, Mike. But I got really lonely. And I was dealing with some health struggles and some emotional struggles. And now I'm just feeling isolated. I'm feeling alone. Hey, Mike. When adversity strikes, you'll be tempted to go it alone. Reach out anyway. Hey, Mike, when you're stressed out, you'll be tempted to ask no one for help. Ask for help anyway. But I didn't. And now I'm here, and I'm in the hangar, and the sun has gone down. It's dark at night, and I'm just about ready to go home, and I'm feeling sorry for myself, and I'm really struggling, and I get this text. The text is from a kid named Jake Wilkins. You might know Jake a little bit. He's the guy with the really cool hair that plays guitar up here sometimes. But there's something about Jake that you don't know. Jake texted me. He said, I left you something outside the door of your office. Now, I didn't even know that anybody had been at the hangar that day. See, what you didn't know about Jake Wilkins is he's really good at baking. He's really good. So I opened my door, and there on the floor is this big plate of uh, peanut butter cup cookies. So I went over to a couch and I ate them all. I think they were for the whole family, but who cares, you know? I just ate them. I ate the whole plate by myself. And it meant a lot. It meant like a lot, a lot. I, I guarantee you way more than he thought it did. And it just got me thinking. Love is risky. Love makes you vulnerable. But I'll tell you what, if you let the P and H's keep you from loving, you're going to miss the chance 
to meet an Anessa Forest, you're going to miss the chance to be, to be, to be an Anessa Forest. Be kind. Everyone you know is fighting a great battle. Hey, as we close today, I just would love it if you could bow your heads and close your eyes, even if you're online, just for a moment of reflection. What has God said to you today? So first of all, let's talk about grace, grace, grace. You are loved. I don't know what your last weekend was like. I don't know what your last week was like. I don't know what this morning was like, but I do know this. You are loved. And if you're here for the first time or the second time, I'm going to give you a chance, by the way, in just a few minutes to receive, to accept that love that Jesus wants to give you, salvation through his death and resurrection. But I also want to talk to you, if you've been coming to church for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, have you thought about grace lately? Because I've just been wondering if you've been beating yourself up. And you've fallen back into the way of the world, karma, 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 performance, 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 performance. And I want you to stop that right now. You are so loved. And now my prayer for you, my prayer for me would be that love, that love, free, complete, that that love would unlock inside of us an ability to love others well. Maybe there's someone that comes to mind that could use a little act of kindness, a little word of encouragement, maybe even an invitation. So if you're here today, you're watching online or in person, and you kind of never heard about this concept called grace, this revolutionary concept called grace, I just want to tell you again, you're loved. The God of the universe loves you. He's for you. Jesus came and he died and rose again. Salvation is not achieved. Salvation is received. It's a free gift. Forgiveness of your sins. The power to change, the power to create, the power to lead, the promise of eternity. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. So if you've never accepted the gift that Jesus purchased for you through his death and resurrection, I just want to give you the opportunity, whether you're online or in person, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, you want to just raise your hand for me right now so I can pray for you? Nice and high if you don't mind. Amazing. Amazing. That's great. That's great. You can put your hands down. Man, if you just raised your hand online or in person, I'm going to pray out loud, and I just invite you to pray along with me. Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. I thank you that it's not my, about my performance, but that you paid it all. So Jesus, today I ask you to be my Savior. I hand you all my wrong, and I pray that you would make me right, right now. And today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. 
because you rose again, I pray that you would give me the power to change, the power to follow you one next step at a time into the life that I was born to live to become the person that I was created to become today, tomorrow, and forever. Thank you, God, in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate, church. Three things. One. Oh, 12.30. Doing this thing called more. Did I talk about it in the sermon already? Did I threaten you to be there? Okay, good. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Uh, secondly, next week, I want to invite you back to church. We're going to talk about something amazing. Paul says something about you. He says this. You need to have the faithfulness of a soldier. You need to have the discipline of an athlete. And you need to have the toughness, the toughness, the toughness of a farmer. I can't wait. And finally, I asked the band to close us with a song. I've been thinking about that hymn all week long. And then it hit me. There was a remake of that hymn just a couple years ago. That remake is called Highs and Lows. And that's what we're going to close with today. Why don't you stand up? You with me the way.
Sunday with all of you guys. Come back next week, stick around for more, and have a great day. Take care. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come. <laughs>